So I'm just here at the Papal Cross, 15 acres in the Phoenix Park. It stands 116 feet high, steel I-beams on a four-sided mound. And it was made and erected as a backdrop for when the Pope celebrated Mass for up to a million Dubliners and people who came from around Ireland to see him. Like St. Patrick, I too have heard the voice of the Irish calling to me. The area around the cross is usually busy with tourists coming to take photos. And Dubliners coming to relax. People having picnics, there's kids playing. Well, we really come here, not for any religious reason, really. We like to run down the hill. <laughs> These days, though, the Papal Cross is surrounded by crowd control barriers and workmen installing aluminium trackways. It's a construction of the stage for the Papal visit. It's going to see the Pope, but we're going to get anyway, so. <laughs> Like Pope John Paul in 1979, in 2018, Pope Francis will come here to the Papal Cross to celebrate Mass. Aside from the Phoenix Park and the Papal Cross, there are other similarities between the visits of the two popes to Ireland. Two stories knit Ireland's papal events from 1979 and 2018 together. One relates to place, Sean McDermott Street, the other to a group of people, prisoners. On a recent visit to a women's prison in Chile, Pope Francis spoke about the need for prisons to do more for prisoners than just punish them. Pope Francis regularly visits prisons, and it was widely speculated that he might visit an Irish one. It's also rumoured that he might stop off in Sean McDermott Street in Dublin because it's the location of a former Magdalene laundry known as the Gloucester Laundry. In 1979, the twin stories of prisoners and Sean McDermott Street also came up in discussions in the run-up to the visit of Pope John Paul II. Back then, Sean McDermott Street was mentioned because it was the location of the tomb of a local hero named Matt Talbot. While stories of prisoners made headlines because of a gesture proposed by the Irish government. But although people were talking about both stories in 1979, the one about the prisoners and the one about Sean McDermott Street, only one of those stories actually came to pass. Let's find out about the government initiative on prisoners first. The place to begin finding out about 1979 is here, in the National Archives, and one of its keepers, Tom Quinlan. The state would obviously have been heavily involved in the visit uh, in 1979 by the Pope to Ireland and probably where we find the richest source of material would be in the archives of policy-making departments, such as the Taoiseach Department. So what you'll tend to find on their files is very good quality archives relating to the visit, to arrangements for the visit, to the practical arrangements and also just you know interesting, maybe odd or quirky items will also be found on the files as well, including a very interesting file on the whole business of how... Guards, you know, guards were hungry. 
because there were no catering arrangements there on the day and a lot of guards, you know, would have been on duty for quite a long time without thought perhaps given to how they were going to be fed, who was going to make sure that they had enough to eat. They couldn't go off duty, but apparently some of the guards were forced to make use of a private orchard in order to basically have the apples from it because they were hungry. Just kind of a minor amusing thing where you find guards themselves possibly, you know, on the wrong side of the law because of their, their own hunger. The Department of Justice may have overlooked the guards' ordinary needs for the papal visit, but they did come up with something extraordinary to be discussed at Cabinet. It was a gesture from the Irish government to the Vatican, a sort of low-key Barabbas gesture. A group of prisoners would be released so that they could join in with the millions of other Irish and go and see the Pope when he came. It's being proposed by the Minister for Justice and then the senior civil servants will think about it and reflect upon whether or not this is advisable. So, of course, you see senior civil servants expressing views. One of those views was expressed by a senior civil servant in the Taoiseach's office when the memo landed on his desk. And he says, I would recommend against an amnesty because of public reaction. And what he says is we have a serious level of crime, a very poor rate of detection, complaints regarding the ineffectiveness of pre-trial procedures and a serious problem of recidivism. It would be risky to give the amnesty in the first day of the visit because of the threat to Dublin's empty homes. So the idea of the amnesty went back to be tweaked. That's the story about the prisoners and we'll come back to that later. But then there was the 1979 story about Sean McDermott Street. This is partly told in a remarkable tape from the RTE radio archives. It's from the night of the first day of John Paul II's visit. A series of RTE reporters track the Pope's progress through Dublin City. More importantly, their microphones pick up the reaction of those who came out to see him. The tape begins at the airport. And here at Dublin Airport, the papal helicopter has just come into land. The Pope arrived at Dublin Airport. He had just said Mass for over a million people in the Phoenix Park and 300,000 near Drogheda. These helicopters, which have been very kindly loaned by the West German police. He was then about to travel by motorcade into the city. And now I hand you over to John Skehan, who is travelling with the motorcade. And now the escort of honour, riding beautiful new motorcycles, Yamaha 500s, which look very impressive indeed. He will be travelling through some of the poorest parts of Dublin, the poorest and most devout. I was wondering what the smell was, and then I realised that the roadway was carpeted with chrysanthemums which had been crushed by the passing motorcade. They had even decorated the traffic lights with garlands of flowers. And in all the windows... Listening to the radio commentary that evening, People around the country knew that one fervent hope for that motorcade was that it would stop at one north inner city street. The motorcade will travel through the following points. Binsbridge in Drumcondra and Gloucester Street and Sean McDermott Street, where it is felt at this stage that the motorcade will stop for a few moments. Sean McDermott Street, traditionally a street of tenement flats the remnants of the Dublin slums. Perhaps more than any other part of the country, this street had put on a show for the Pope. People had the buntings across the streets. They had the big banner as you come into Sean McDermott. It was Pope John Paul rules OK. So you had flags out, you had the papal flags out, you had uh, tricolours out. Nobody in authority had said that the papal motorcade would stop in Sean McDermott Street. 
but it was seen as an appropriate thing for this new campaigning Pope to do. After all, he was only a year in the post and had already made his name as a Pope who, on his travels, had regard for local shrines to holy figures. Matt Talbot was one such figure. He was an alcoholic who gave up drink and, as an act of penance, wore chains under his clothes. When he died, it was discovered that those chains had become embedded in his flesh. His tomb is in Shaw McDermott Street. The locals hoped the Pope would stop there and pay tribute. But the crowd, of course, is terribly well behaved, as it seems to have been all day. Back to the archive tape of the radio coverage of the papal motorcade into the city. Imro Kelly was one of the reporters en route. I did notice that one house was displaying the old Eucharistic Congress flag. Possibly it hasn't even been hung outside that house since 1932. And here comes the motorcycle escort, which is pace setting for the Pope now. And the escort looks eminently smart in their well-lit white jackets and the crowd sets up a cheer for them. By now, of course, the government had decided what to do about their plans for the early release of prisoners to honour the Pope. The amnesty was going to go ahead all right, but with changes. First, the types of prisoners who would be let out was limited. Tom Quinlan from the National Archives has been reading the official documents from the time. The 68 prisoners who are proposed for release are all serving sentences of two years or less, so they were in for quite short periods of time. Uh, No other prisoners will benefit. Particularly, no so-called subversives. These were prisoners convicted in connection with the Troubles in the North. After all, this was at the height of the conflict. 18 British soldiers and the British Royal Lord Mountbatten had been killed just a month previously. Secondly, the prisoners were not going to be released in time for the papal visit. Instead, they were going to get out on the day he was due to leave. People got the image of, you know, most of Dublin being in the Phoenix Park. This is Kevin Warner, who looked after education in the prisons. And these guys who mightn't necessarily go to the Phoenix Park. And that this would be a glorious opportunity for burglary and crimes to be committed that caused the authorities to delay the release. That's Joe Costello, prison reform campaigner at the time. By delaying the release, the government might have been accused of being half-hearted in their gesture to the Pope. But for campaigners like Joe Costello, the amnesty, any amnesty, gave them an opportunity to highlight conditions in the Irish prison system in 1979. And here at Bridge, where a crowd of thousands have been waiting since about half past six, the papal vehicle is Back to the archive tape from RTE Radio and commentary on the motorcade has been handed over to Porrick O'Neill. The Pope blesses both sides, waving to this side, to that side. The papal motorcade into the city actually took the Pope quite near one of the country's biggest prisons, Mount Joy. As the papal vehicle passes us now and the crowd here, very well behaved all evening and very, very... A Victorian jail close by Binsbridge. Mount Joy was just the kind of place prison reform campaigners like Joe Costello were keen to change. What were conditions like in there at the time? I look after the prison museum here at Mount Joy. Retired prison officer Sean Reynolds. Oh, when I came here first, it wasn't very clean. And if you were off for a week's holidays or a fortnight's holidays, you knew you were back when you came back on the Monday because the stench was terrible. Stench of human waste. And it wasn't the prisoners' fault. They did the best they could. Most of the lads kept themselves very clean. But you had a practice here of slopping out. It was horrible and nobody wanted it. Tom Cotter, retired prison officer. It was degrading. You were opening a cell door a prison was coming out with a chamber pot full. It was slapping all over the place. The smell was terrible. And they were 
bumping into one another to get down to empty their toilet. Dermot Leacock was also working in Mountjoy at the time. He was a prison chaplain. It was like entering a kind of a twilight zone when you went in and, and closed the gate behind you. Generally it was one to a cell, except for an area called the, the caravan, which was a few cells opened out for the travellers because they would have found it very difficult to live on their own. Mm. So there was, a, I think, three or four cells that were broken out into one. So that was called the caravan. There was a kind of unwritten law that uh, you did your apprenticeship in St. Patrick's before you transferred across to Mount Joy. And they actually looked forward uh, to the day that they would be able to join the, the big lads in the prison itself. The big thing for me was that there were no middle-class kids. It was all working-class kids. One working-class area was overrepresented in the Mountjoy prison of the 1970s. It was the Dublin North Inner City Parish of Sean McDermott Street. I remember Father Paul Lavelle, he rang me up one day, he said, Dermot, I'd love to, to meet some of the, my parishioners. No, I would arrange that. But uh, when I did the count for his parish, I remember the figure, well, there were 52 young lads from his parish. That was the Sean McDermott Street Parish there. That was 52 out of 450 prisoners in Mount Joy. He leans down now, leans down to where there's a a large group of people. Back with the radio coverage of the motorcade and the crowds are building as the Pope gets closer to the city centre. They are pressing in, they are narrowing the laneway through which we drive. The guard are trying to hold the crowds back enough to give us room to get the cars through. Waiting for the Pope, down in Shaw McDermott Street, local historian Terry Fagan hoped that if he stopped for a moment, it wouldn't just be good for the cause of Matt Talbot, but for the whole parish. There was a devastation of drugs had hit the inner city, and so there was a lot of kind of darkness over the city, in, 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 particularly in the north inner city, and uh, the, the fact that the Pope would be coming here felt that it might be a new beginning. So we decided then we'd go down to the local pub at the time, so we went in and we asked a few of the lads. So that meant tidying up the church grounds. It meant painting inside the church and painting outside the church. And some of these lads wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't darken the door of the church, like, you know. Yeah. But when they heard that the Pope was coming, the lads said, no problem, we'll go up and give a hand, we'll get involved. So I think at that time, they were supposed to meet at the church around 9 o'clock to start to get the thing on, on the road. Sure, some of them were there at 8 o'clock that morning waiting to help out. So it was a great feeling. Yes, the procession is just coming into sight now. It's become very dark here now and rather cold and we can't really see any details but the first the first cars of the procession are just passing us by now and the excitement and the singing with which the crowd's been keeping its heart up stopped. There was a moment's hush as they realised that what we'd all been waiting for was starting to happen and now it's all burst out again as the Pope comes into view on the back of the truck and the whole crowd erupts, waving flags, screaming... As the papal motorcade drew closer to the north inner city, the cheering was audible inside nearby Mountjoy Prison. One of those in there that weekend was a man we'll call Paddy. And I've been in a lot of places. A lot of different prisons? Yeah. It's just the way life is. Some people are privileged to have a good life, other people ain't. Where you're born into, you know, who your parents is and all that. What can you tell me about, about your start in life? Crap. In what way? I was an orphan. Oh. And 
and were you in an, in, in an orphanage then for a while or? Seven years. Seven years. And then I got locked up again in another place. And then I got locked up again in another place. Right. Then I went to Patrick's. Then from Patrick's and then to Mountjoy. When I leave one place, we, I go to the next place. And the same people that were in the last place will be in this place. These are going back since you were kids. In those days, giggles. Do you mind me asking you any of the reasons why you ended up in prison over the years? Robin. Mostly Robin and assaults. Mm. Yeah. I didn't end up in open prison for doing nothing. Well, however many million people have seen the Pope today, either in the flesh or on television, they are not tired of it yet. While Paddy was locked up in Mountjoy, some of his fellow prisoners had actually been out earlier in the day and had been at one of the papal events. The chaplain, Father Dermot Leacock, had recommended that some of the prisoners should be allowed to go to the Mass in the Phoenix Park. The increasing darkness, in a way, adds the occasion because the papal coach is... Well, on the day, there was a select number of prisoners who are trustees who were allowed to come to the Phoenix Park, accompanied by myself. Neil McGrory was the prison officer with responsibility for the prisoners in the Phoenix Park. Five of them agreed to come here without any restrictions. We all left Mountjoy Prison in the morning, walked up from Mountjoy to the Phoenix Park. We all parted company when we came here and they agreed to meet back at a certain point at 5pm in the evening. And at that time, everyone turned up at 5pm in the evening. There was one very good reason those five prisoners turned up and went back to Mount Joy that evening. They were part of one of the prison's work parties. These were groups of prisoners who went out to work in the community every day. By coincidence, those prisoners in the Phoenix Park that day were working for a group who were also in the park at the Papal Mass. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Jesus, teach me generous, teach love and serve this out of service. Boy Scouts from Rathfarnham in Dublin. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, two of these. You know what's happening on Saturday week? And you will come. The Scouts were working on stewarding duties at the Papal Mass. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to part because when people came along, we ushered them into the different corrals. And to set up feed stations, water stations, and other things that are needed for a crowd of that size. Reykjo and Ben Malone. The same week the Pope came in 1979, their new scout town was being built with help from a work party of prisoners. This is the actual construction work done by Mount Joy. That's the leader's room. The kitchen, toilets, venture room and stores. Any time we met them, it, it, was, it was great. They were one of the lads and we had a cup of tea with them whenever we could and they were a nice bunch of lads, you know. Yeah, very nice guys, actually. And the workmanship that they did was very good. They actually worked during the day and then they had to go off at you know, four or five, you know, back in. Then we'd arrive down in the evening then if we were doing a bit of work. There's a little caravan which they had out the front, which they used as their canteen. They had a, a foreman or whatever, you know, in charge of That foreman was Neil McGrory. She was the best, it was the best of crack. It was the best of jokes and told every day. Like every building site, you know, it's not a dead place to work, you know. And if there's something to say to you to be said to you, you know, they wouldn't spare you. you know? And for any guy that, that that came out here, he was going somewhere when he came here. You know, he was coming out to work. And when he'd come out here on his first day here, saying, as is, you leave my joy behind, you know. I don't want to hear the word mentioned out here. It was a rule of thumb here. It was never discussed. People were reluctant to, you know, they hear about prisoners coming out of Mountjoy. You know, there was a reluctance, naturally enough, you know. But sure, after a week, they wouldn't know any difference. They weren't dressed like 
they were dressed like everybody else, no different than anyone else on the building side. They wouldn't even think about it. The van that we were driving would be just an ordinary van, there'd be no markings on it or nothing. So it was, they were like anybody on the site. We were on jobs at, at, from start to finish and they didn't know mm. until the opening. The Rathfarnham Scout Den still has photos from the opening ceremony. As you can see, there's been a few dignitaries here. Alan Jukes, and that's the warden from Mountjoy there. There's the prisoners there. There's the photographs of the actual lads there. Yeah. They look very smart, as if they were um, off, off to a wedding or something. Shorts, toys, matching toys, jackets. But it was for a big meal um, opening the Della House to thank them for all, all the work they did down here. That's the neighbour, Mr Doyle, next door. That photograph there, because he was talking to him every day. He used to keep an eye on the, on the den because he was next door and, and, he, and he, said, he said, the only thing about them lads and us, he said, they were caught. They did a very good job for us and they certainly helped us achieve our aim, which was to build the den, you know. The Rathfarnham Scout Den was just one of 30 such dens and community centres that the Mountjoy prisoners built around Dublin. And according to former prison officer Neil McGrory, that work didn't just help the community groups, it was a huge benefit to the prisoners on the work parties. Because we were very familiar with a lot of building companies and building companies were continuously looking for these men to come to work with them. We had over 3,600 come out here over the 30-year period there it lasted. 80% of them got jobs. Building companies were lining up for these people. These lads were good and got involved in work. And when they did then, they left all their friends behind them that was involved in other activities. Mm. So their life changed. And some of them men are working still for these companies. That's years later. If you're around building providers, and which I do all the time, you meet them continuously. The crowds here must be 20 deep along each side of the road. They're gathering all afternoon, and it's interesting that many of the people... On that Saturday evening in 1979, those work party prisoners were back in Mount Joy as Dick Warner from RTE Radio broadcast the progress of the papal motorcade through the city. Lapel stickers still in their lapels and their folding seats from the park to get another look at the Pope on his way through Dublin. Farther on down the route, the people of Shaw McDermott Street were waiting, hoping the Pope would stop there. Terry Fagan, the local historian. I don't know, like many of the listeners would remember, but if, and I wouldn't remember, but I know from reading the history of the Eucharistic Congress, like the way the city was prepared. But it was something similar to that. People had the buntings across the street. It was the post colours, it was yellow and white. The whole, it was just amazing, the transformation of the street. Now, re, you must remember, at those, those times, the Shamrock Dermot Street was still there, the old tenements were still there, all lined up along the streets. So, um, I was actually standing right here. Una Shaw was also on the street that evening. We were all really looking forward to it and delighted with life and all like that. And who were you here with that day? I was with the people from the daycare centre. Uh, there was uh, quite a few of them in wheelchairs, so we each took a person along, you know, and it was right where you are now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And the banners that were up, some of them were actually done because Father Lamas was here at the time. Yeah, Do you remember Peter Father Kay, Peter um, Lamas? And Paul Lavelle. Yes, and, uh, and he had to, taken the trouble to get some Polish uh, wording up on the thing and it was lovely, whatever phrase that he used to use in a prayer himself, that was right across here in John McDermott Street. You know? And now here comes Pope John Paul. He's smiling as broadly as he ever was this morning. He doesn't look even Back up in Mountjoy Prison, 
While the prison officers were proud of the community work party system, they knew that much of their own work involved managing the frustration and boredom suffered by many prisoners. These are what they call ankle straps and they date back to 1880. Sean Reynolds, the retired prison officer, goes through some items in his prison museum to illustrate the difficulties of life for regular prisoners. Uh, it's Sam, a sample canvas frock worn by convicts who tear their ordinary prison clothing. Why would they tear their clothes? Oh, a lot of them, just for, just for sheer fans of frustration. Yeah. You could say, why did they wreck their cells? We had a prisoner here one time because I didn't bring him out to work one Saturday. I got fed up with him. He's the very disruptive prisoner. He broke up all the furniture in the cell. He was like a bald boy sitting on the pile of furniture. And I said, what did you do that for? Oh, I said, because you wouldn't bring me to work this morning. Just mm. frustration to take it out, mm. to take it out on anything. I remember a case in Port Lees, cute enough too in many ways. He had a portable radio. And he ran out and he gave it to the officer. He said, hold that up for me. He said, I'm going to wreck my cell. He said, he wasn't going to break his radio. I was the assistant governor of Mount Joy. Retired prison officer Tom Cotter. And I was with a colleague. I turned to look out the window and I saw three fellas on the roof of the prison. I said, holy, we set the alarms off. Everybody got their shoulder to the wheel and we controlled it. Tom Cotter says prison riots often happen because of miscommunication. Like, it could be all over a simple thing like a visit. Thinking the visit was refused, maybe. Maybe the visitor never turned up. At that time, a prison was allowed one visit a week. It's very important. It's their only lifeline. An older officer said to me here one time, he said, if a prisoner gets a bad visit, if there's something happens on the visit and things don't go well, or he gets a letter from home saying things are not well, don't bring him out to work the following day or for the next week even. Leave him until things subside. We were out here just not too far from where I am here now and uh, I had a young lad with me. Now the young lad, was, he was a good lad and we were just out here at the back of the thing and uh, he left me sight and I got a sinking feeling. So I ran down and the Doka Centre was being built at the time and it was a big building site and he absconded out through there out on the Berkeley Road. But anyway... Two weeks later, his mother rang up and said, I'm bringing him in, and he's giving himself up. So shortly after that, one of the nuns in the chaplain service came to me, and she said he'd like to see you, and I went up. Now, I was very annoyed when he ran away, but I could <laughs> strangle him. But anyway, that all had subsided, and he said he was very sorry for running away. Ah, they were messing him around. He wanted to get out for communion. They wouldn't allow him, wouldn't give him temporary release for that. Now, I should have seen the writing on the wall. There's too many things revolving in his head. And all he could see was his child was making a communion. They won't let me out. And his loyalty to me at that point didn't matter. I remember one case that was in Cork. A nice young fella. He, um, he'd been in court. And he got his sentence to run in. And he, he walked in the kitchen... His girlfriend had a visit with him that day that at the court and everything, everything was perfect. And I remember I was acting chief at the time in Cork and I remember he came back from court. I went down to the kitchen to talk to him because he was going, this was a Friday, he was going on temporary release on Monday. And I explained to him, Tiar Monday, everything's going to be all right now for you. Everything will be grand. You don't have to worry. 
I was getting ready to go home about half hour later and the alarm went off and I was people shouting and I came out from the, my office and I ran down and I saw two or three of the officers and found this poor fellow, you know. We tried our best to get him around but it couldn't, didn't succeed. And uh, that poor young fellow, like 20 odd years of age, everything I thought was going to go well for him but what was inside his head, I don't know. Finally, the Pope's motorcade approached Sean McDermott Street. You listen to Brendan Balfe closely on the archive tape to find out if the Pope would stop and say a prayer at Matt Talbot's tomb. Well, you've heard the cry, bring life to the inner city. Well, here we are in Sean McDermott Street and the Gloucester Laundry. Would he give an impoverished area a boost? Or would John Paul II hurry on by to elsewhere in the city to meet with church and state officials. And the first sign that Pope John Paul will see as he enters the parish of Our Lady of Lord is, Dear Pope John Paul, don't forget Matt, which is a big banner hung right across the street here. And a reference, of course, to Gloucester Streets, Sean McDermott Streets and Rutland Streets own Venerable Matt Talbot. He's coming into sight now. The outriders are directly opposite me here at the Monastery of Our Lady of Refuge. And here he is now, just passing us. Pope John Paul getting an enthusiastic welcome from the crowd, who have mainly concentrated around the Church of Our Lady of Lourdes, which holds the shrine of the Venerable Matt Una Shaw from Sean McDermott Street remembers the night well. Cheering, cheering, so loud the cheering, you know, and a welcome, welcome. Everybody was shouting, you know. I'm sure quite a few things said that day, but we were so happy to see him. There's bands, there's pipe bands, there's a church choir. I had a great view of him, now he, he was fantastic. Did, no he, did he wave? Oh, he did, he smiled, he was waving in, in every direction. And a huge carnival atmosphere. This is life indeed, because they've all congregated around the entrance to the church, hoping he might stop, perhaps for a second, to pay tribute to Dublin's own working man, the venerable Matt Talbot, who was so intent on doing penance, as the Pope was speaking about earlier at the Phoenix Park Mass. Yeah, I was myself in floods. Because, you know, when you're young, and I'm 86 now, you grow up, like, you know, hearing all about the Pope, but now to actually see him and know he's in your parish. There are stacks of stands for the old people and for the very young people. And the Pope vehicle has now passed by the church and is going towards Cuttlebrewer Street. And he just came and he went right by. And we're all left sitting. But... From what I gather, it wasn't really his fault. He was held up by the diplomatic corps. Mm. They over, ran over time, and he hadn't enough time to get down to us to come in. Yeah. But it was a very big disappointment. Fast forward two days to Monday, October the 1st, 1979, Shannon Airport. The Air Corps fly past as Pope John Paul II is about to board a flight to the United States. Semper Fidelis, Ireland, always faithful. 
the papal visit to Ireland is over. And in prisons around the country, 76 prisoners got news. Paddy was one of them. They come up to me and tell me you're getting out for the Pope. Well, I only had about two weeks left anyway. How many days beforehand did you find out you were getting out? Really? No, you just, they just came up to you and, and said, get your gear, you're, you're going out and that's it. As Father Dermot Leacock, the chaplain, remembers, it was all very low-key. It was just another event. You know, prison is like no other experience because things are happening all over the place. You know, like there's guys going off down to Limerick today for, for uh, cases and so on. All this is going on, and so it's like Houston Station, you know, particularly in Mountjoy. Huge activity, comings and goings. So it would have been just part and parcel of that activity. And as you recall, the authorities worried about all those prisoners being released at the one time. According to campaigner Joe Costello, it wasn't really an issue. It was 76 that was released in the end. Didn't cause any uproar or didn't cause any increase in the level of criminality. In the 40 years since the 1979 papal visit, the nature of religious observance and the position of the Catholic Church, as you know, has changed. And the prison system has changed too. For one thing, the cherished community work party scheme was abruptly cancelled. This was, you recall, the scheme where prisoners went out and built scout dens and community centres. I was waiting holidays to get back into gone. The prison officer who managed the work parties in Mountjoy Prison, Neil McGrory. It was terrible. It was for all that was done to keep the work party going and for all that was involved, it was a shame that it ever happened because... For us to get to the stage that we had the top people in Dublin City Council, we had a number of architects that we used to work through, builders, providers, all those people that couldn't, could not believe that this day had come. And when you said, why, why, why is this ended, what do they say? They just known it's closed, that's it. And you were gutted, I presume. Oh, absolutely, yeah. To think there's something that you worked at for so long, you know, it was just undone like a stroke of a pen. And no, no reason for it. To this day, there was absolutely no reason. It's long been recognised that imprisonment damages people. That's Kevin Warner, who had been responsible for prison education. Towards the end of his working life, he started a PhD on prison policy. He says the attitude to prisoners has changed since 1979. Frank Dunn was the senior civil servant responsible for prisons for a long time. And it was a very understanding, a supportive way of thinking about people in prison. And he was involved in a policy document which spoke of people in prison as valued members of society. Now, that thinking is gone. We do not now, officially or in practice, think of people in prison as valued members of society. Two retired prison officers don't necessarily agree, Sean Reynolds and Tom Cotter. They end up in prison. They get six months, 12 months or a year in prison. And the prison is expected to turn that person back out the gate with a halo shining. Society has failed them, totally. And they condemn the prisons who have their money for the least amount of time. It doesn't make sense. But the education facilities here are marvellous. If a prisoner comes in and if he puts his mind to it, he can go to a far better person. 
Joe Costello, the prison reform campaigner, went on to become a TD and minister. When we were dealing with prisoners, virtually nobody was in prison for drug-related offences. Now I would say two-thirds of the prisoners are in for drug-related offences and that's a major, major problem. A very substantial number of the people who are in prison do need some medical assistance. They need treatment for their addictions. But back in the 70s, was was it easier then? It was. The supports, if you like, in theory weren't there and there was very little respect for ex-offenders coming out. But they were coming out in a very sane, mental, strong mental fashion or at least, you know, they didn't have that particular problem which drugs has brought about and which has ruined so many young lives because of the addiction they have. Paddy, the former prisoner, left institutional life. I got a job. I started working. Didn't have kids, so I didn't want to go in with them. Was it hard to get a job? No. I worked with me brothers, you know, so I was able to get a job handy enough. I've worked ever since. I've always worked. Your brothers, were any of them in, in prison as well? Or? Yeah, they were all in prison, every one of them. Sean McDermott Street changed too. The tenements were demolished and replaced by low-rise flat complexes. One thing that hasn't changed in Sean McDermott Street, though, is the desire to see a Pope call by and visit. I would dearly love to see him come here. Yeah. He always is one, yeah, yeah, he always a community one, you know. And I would dearly love him to, to canonise Matt Talbot. He, at the moment, now he's servant of God. So if he even created him, blessed Matt Talbot, yeah. he's so happy. He's so happy. Thanks. After all, he was able to do it for Father John Sullivan up in Gardner Street, so I don't see why we should be left out. <laughs> Awake from your slumber Arise from your sleep A new day is dawning For all those... My name is Father John Quinn of Salesian here in Sean McDermott Street Parish. Pope Francis is supposed to be coming about quarter past three, I think, on the 25th, Saturday, and I believe he won't be coming into the church. I believe it's a very short visit, maybe five to ten minutes, and then he will be going to the Pro Cathedral. Let us build a city of God. May our tears be turned into dancing. revolving slowly on its axis, headlights blazing, ponderous machine that seems to move so slowly on the ground, so swiftly on the air. I'm at your front of rolling. Yes, on tower, Went 150 degrees, seven knots. The Irish Prison Service publishes an annual report. The report for the Prison Service for 1979 has, to a layperson, some odd omissions. There was no mention, for example, of the prisoners who got to go to the Papal Mass in the Phoenix Park, or of the fact that Mountjoy prisoners made a crucifix for the Pope and pooled their cigarette money to give to a charity of the Pope's choice. And most surprising of all, there was no mention at all of the controversial prisoner amnesty. I'm under front, I'll read the five by five. Thank you, line up, advisory for takeoff. Uh, I call you one already. For the 2018 visit of Pope Francis, the Department of Justice say that there are no plans for the early release of any prisoners. 
Now the engines are being run up. We can see the spray rising from the jets. And the St. Patrick starts its run. I imagine the feeling when you get out of prison after being locked up must be kind of... Is it like, do you get a physical feeling? Um, no, you're just glad to be you. and just glad to meet your kids again. and That's really it. You don't feel fantastic. Like, it's just, you're just getting out and that's it. Is it not like, ah, freedom? It's not like that? No. Really? No, it was never for me. Yeah, yeah. Really not. You know, I have no, I have no interest in the pub, really. Gaining speed as it goes from right to left, out of our vision. Gaining speed, spray trailing out behind us. Lights flashing, and it takes off. And the Pope has left Irish soil. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.